Hello and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. I'm David Kimberley and I'm part of the investment trust team here at Kepler. Before I introduce this week's guest, a couple of points. One is that we recorded this about two weeks before it is actually going out and in the intervening period, um, one Chancellor of the Exchequer lost his job, which has made one of the points that is made in the in the podcast less relevant than it might have been uh, at the time. The other one is that I have to remind all of you before I introduce our guest that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It is strongly recommended that independent financial advice should be taken before entering into any financial transaction. And with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Trust Issues. This week, I'm joined by Uzo Ekwe, who is a small and mid-cap UK equity analyst at Schroders. And so the reason this happened is because about a month or so ago, uh, Uzo wrote quite a good piece on the um, UK market and how it looked comparatively cheap relative relative to other markets. And uh, I then lifted some of that research for my, for my own purposes. Uh, so yeah, that's what we'll be talking today about UK equities and whether they look to be good value or not. Um, and so Uzo, thanks for joining me. I want to start with talking about that point, so valuations. Before we get into do that, into that, I want to do a bit of an explainer for anyone who's not familiar with price to earnings ratios, because we'll be talking about that in a second. So a price to earnings ratio is, is a statistic used by analysts to value a company. So you calculate it by dividing a company's share price by its earnings per share, meaning in simple terms, you're looking at how much a company's shares cost relative to how much profit it makes on a per share basis. So if you have a high PE ratio, that would mean a company shares are priced highly relative to its profits and vice versa. So a low PE ratio would mean that a company is ostensibly cheap, although it might not be for reasons they'll probably get into. So Uzo, in your piece, you looked at uh, average PE ratio for companies in the UK market and compared to their global peers, they are cheaper. Again, that sense of scare quotes because they might be cheaper for a reason. But why would you say that is? What What is it about um, the UK market that is um, making it making them look cheaper? Hi, David. Um, thanks for having me. So I guess one reason um, that is usually given is that the overall UK market has a high weight of large cap stocks that are lower in growth and are um, in more mature old economy sectors like banks and energy. And those tend to trade at lower valuations. And so as a result, um, people say that that justifies why the UK should trade at a discount to global peers. And whilst it is true that the UK market has a less growthier sector mix than, let's say, the US, for example, um, so the tech sector makes up about 1% of the UK index, whilst it makes up 27% of the US market. So there's a big contrast there. But I think even when you look beyond this, you know, we do see that even small and mid caps in the UK tend to trade at a discount to their global pits. And I think there are a lot of reasons for this. So firstly, if you look over the last few decades, there has been a real shift in the UK away from defined benefit pension schemes and towards defined contribution schemes. So most of these 
DB schemes are now closed and so as a result of that they tend to basically have much more of an increasingly older demographic and that's basically meant that pension fund managers have shifted the asset allocation in favour of lower risk strategies like bonds that basically provide more uh, fixed income streams. So pension funds have reduced their weight in equities but even within that, they have increased their allocation to global equities at the expense of UK equities. And if I was just going to put some uh, figures behind that, the level of UK equities held within these DB schemes has actually fallen from about half of total assets in the early 2000s to less than 5% today. And I think I saw um, a recent stat in the Financial Times that it's actually about 3% a day. So it's pretty low. And then if you look at insurance companies, um, Solvency 2 regulation has actually increased the amount of capital that these companies have to hold against more riskier assets, which makes holding things like equities less attractive. So that's also been a contributing factor. So um, ultimately, Pension funds and insurers have been forced sellers of equities and their appetite for UK equities has also reduced. So if you think about, okay, you have sellers, but then, you know, who's buying these UK equities? And it's not households. Um, if you look as far back as the 1960s, individuals actually owned most of the UK stock market. But these days, um, UK household savings actually tend to go into deposits rather than the domestic equity market. So again, who's buying these UK equities? And I think that the need to entice international investors to replace these domestic investors means that you, you basically have to offer some kind of a discount. So it's almost like a retailer having too much inventory, right? So they are for sellers and no one has to buy it. So it's offered um, at a discount. And then I think maybe just to wrap up your question, um, the final argument you can probably make is that uh, you know, we've seen the rise of ESG and that's made a lot of investors much more conscious about investing quite responsibly. And given that the UK has quite a large exposure to things like mining and energy, um, that's probably contributed as well to outflows from the UK stock market. So yeah, I'd say it's um, quite a number of factors. Great. That's, that's really interesting. Actually, I wasn't, wasn't aware of that. But one of the things I'm always that always makes me a bit skeptical of of these takes um, about the UK being so cheap uh, is that is that typically it will look at the market average as a whole, and when you do that, you can end up missing out on some of the nuances that exist among different companies. So if you were to look at UK companies based on their size and segment them that way, are there any differences? So if you if you look at say smaller companies, are they as cheap as their as the large caps that you mentioned? And if if not, does the comparison still hold so if you're looking at small caps are they still cheap relative to their global peers i suppose the question i'm asking or even mid cap yeah i i mean i think it's a really good question um and if you do break it down by size yeah the relationship still holds so the FTSE 250 is trading at a 31 percent discount relative to its own 10-year average, so that's between 2011 and 2021. And then the FTSE 100 is at a 33% valuation discount. So these are really, really large discounts. And then again, um, uh, comparing these indices to their international peers, yeah, 
there is still quite a bit of a discount there as well. Okay. And um, I mean, another reason I find this interesting is that both at Kaplan and in my prior job, this has just been a constant thing. Like the UK is so cheap. Uh, look how cheap the UK is, all this kind of stuff. But then whenever I ended up looking at specific companies that were like, let's say, in more uh, attractive growth type sectors or just companies that were doing well, seeing earnings growth, all that sort of stuff. And so if you think of, uh, I mean, I haven't looked at them recently, but definitely like a couple of years ago, Softcat, uh, Watches of Switzerland Group, Games Workshop, they were all priced quite highly, at least on a, on a price to earnings basis. So it was sort of similar to US growth levels, maybe not that high, but like definitely similar. So is that the case? Do you, I mean, firstly, do you think that's a fair analysis? And are there any areas of the market that you think the UK isn't particularly undervalued in or, or isn't particularly discounted relative to its peers? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, I can't go into single name companies, as you said, but um, there are a lot of the more growthier sectors, like the retail sector, are looking very cheap right now relative to their five and 10 year historical average. And that's largely due to the um, PED rating that we have seen this year, particularly in growth stocks, um, which will obviously been hit quite hard as a result of the expectation of rising interest rates. And um, in terms of are there, you know, other areas of the market that are still quite highly rated yes absolutely i mean the FTSE 250 just for context is trading on a 10 times forward pe ratio okay fine it delivers less growth but there are a lot of stocks that are trading at 20 times 30 times and even higher for higher growth and stronger balance sheets and higher returns on on investor capital. So ultimately, you are paying up in some parts of the market for the expectation of higher returns and growth. Um, the MSCI UK tech sector is trading at a higher PE multiple than its history, and even higher than the US tech sector. I was um, quite surprised when I saw that. But Conversely, you know, there are lots of small and mid-cap tech stocks that have sold off materially, but their um, underlying KPIs are moving in the right direction. And those types of opportunities look much more interesting to us. Great. Okay. But I think, so I think one of the points that you touched on there, and to some extent in your first answer, is that if there's if there's a high valuation and a company has the features that would make it look attractive, people are willing to pay for it, and then vice versa. So in some way, wouldn't, couldn't you then draw the conclusion that the UK is undervalued for reason, basically, that the companies with, good, with goods that, with, that don't have good long-term press, prospects um, are kind of like a value trap? So um, I think there are real reasons why the UK market overall is structurally cheap, um, as I talked about earlier. And also, I, I do think that you can get value traps in any market, but What's probably less appreciated is that the US, sorry, the UK actually has a higher proportion of companies that have delivered tenfold returns over the last 10 years than you've seen in the US. So it's really about finding these opportunities, which is ultimately what we do. Um, so, you know, our focus is on the bottom up, it's on fundamentals, and we look for mispricings and companies with strong secular tailwinds where the fair value isn't appropriately reflected in the share price. And that's normally because there is some kind of a misperception about what's really going on. 
and I think that there are lots of areas in the UK market where this happens, which makes my job very, very exciting, trying to unearth them. And we, we do see quite a lot of undervalued opportunities in the small and mid-cap space, as I mentioned earlier, because, you know, these companies are not widely covered by the sell side or from a size perspective, they are not large enough to be on the radar of funds that, for instance, might have market cap and liquidity restrictions. So I wouldn't necessarily conclude that the UK market is the value trap. No, um, you have to dig a bit deeper. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't know the point about the the, the tenfold returns, which is yeah, no, that's that's pretty, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose another point which maybe would support what you're saying is, um, you know, what, one of the things you touched on again, your first answer was part of the reason the market might be undervalued is because it's got such a big weighting towards things like energy and mining, financials, that sort of thing. Um, but if that's the case, then you would probably assume that you would see equivalent valuations for those kinds of companies in the US or or indeed in other parts of the world. So is that the case? I mean, if our, if you look at, say, the mining or energy sector, are valuations similar to their peers? Um, and if they aren't, why would you think that would be the case? Yes, so I think it's a fair observation to make. And I think that you do see that valuations in energy and financials in the US and even Europe are lower than uh, the consumer discretionary or the tech sectors in their respective markets. I'd probably say it's a function of the characteristics of energy mining and financials that explains why they tend to trade at lower valuations than than other sectors, ultimately lower growth. Yeah, but I mean, so compared to the UK, are they about on par or are they, or is it different? Are they, so if if you're buying like a, uh, I don't know, US energy company, are you having to pay more than you would for an equivalent company um, in the UK? Or is it about I, the same? I think it, it's, it's around the same. So we're talking ultimately about single digit P multiples. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, t- to shift things uh, a bit, I mean, you, you touched on the sorts of companies you look for and a bit on how you how you go about valuing them and, and making buy or sell decisions. Um, but can you talk a bit more about that process? So if you're looking, you, you work on small and mid-cap UK companies. Um, yeah. how, how do you go about finding good opportunities in that space? Yeah, so um, there's, I think there's lots to consider in terms of what makes a good company um, for valuation. And then also I'd probably add corporate governance as well. So just to start off with, you know, if I think about what makes a good company, and you know, this this list isn't obviously exhaustive, but I think that whatever the size of the company, it's really critical um, as an investor to understand the unit economics of the business. So we're looking at how does it make money, what does the cost structure look like, and um, what's the impact on the bottom line from operational leverage or operational deleverage as it were, um, how resilient is the balance sheet and then for cash generating business, you know, we're looking at how much cash does it make and what level of investment is required to sustain the business. Um, personally speaking, I quite like businesses that are high quality, that exhibit uh, durable growth and that can basically compound their free cash flows and generate returns in excess of their cost of capital over the long term. Because we typically see that businesses with those types of characteristics tend to create um, value for shareholders um, over time. And then in terms of valuation, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about 
what is the market currently discounting into the current share price and how does that differ from what we think based on the work that we've done? So is there enough of a margin of safety in the valuation and um, have we sensitized the downside risk enough? And ultimately, we're looking at what's going to be the catalyst and the inflection points that will lead to the investment case ultimately panning out and where are the risks? So I could go on and on and on, um, but that should give you a bit of a taster. And I say finally, um, the management team is actually quite critical. So how long have they been there? Are they employing the right strategy? Do they have skin in the game? For small and mid-cap companies, and particularly those that are on the AIM market, it is important to look um, at the corporate governance framework of these companies because not all of them follow the traditional UK corporate governance code. So there is quite a lot of things that we think about. and. No two companies are the same, which makes um, being an investor very, very exciting. But also with small and mid-cap companies, you do have to take a look at the volatility and the liquidity of the shares when building a portfolio, because that ultimately makes part of your um, uh, overall risk management framework. And you know, so you have to understand how the shares trade and why they trade that way. One point there that I'm interested in, how, when you say you try to make sure the people working there have skin in the game, what, what exactly does that entail? So it's normally around so if there are um, founder-owned businesses, so how much equity stake do they have? Are they aligned with shareholders? What does the um, LTIP structure look like? You know, Are there options and things like that? Great. To finish off, I think... It's not the, the, probably the best or most uh, optimistic time at which to be recording this because we seem to be in the midst of uh, an un- unraveling global financial crisis of sorts. We'll have to see what happens. But um, from your point of view, are there any bright spots or reasons to be optimistic for UK investors or for investors in UK equities, I should say? Yeah, I mean, so look, you, you're absolutely right. The, the, the UK economy is definitely challenged at the moment. I think there is no doubt about that. And the release of the mini budget towards the end of last month hasn't helped with sentiment, um, particularly as it's quite clear that uh, fiscal policy is not in lockstep with with monetary policy. But I think it's important to remember that the UK equity market is not the same thing as the UK economy. It does affect sentiment, don't get me wrong, but it really isn't the same thing. Instead, um, actually around three quarters of earnings from the overall UK stock market are derived overseas. So these earnings are more geared into the international economy, more so than the UK economy. Um, Small and mid-caps are more domestically focused on the whole, but even if you peel back the curtain, you can still find those that are also more geared into the international economy. So for these companies that have exposure to dollar earnings, you know, we are already seeing a positive FX um, impact coming through, uh, which should continue if sterling um, is is under pressure. Then obviously you have the positive, potential positive impact from lower corporate taxes if the plans in the mini budget hold. Then, of course, there are obviously offsetting factors such as higher interest costs for companies with lots of debt and then higher cost inflation um, is obviously going to hurt those that aren't able to pass it on as much to their customers. So there's positives and negatives and how that washes out will ultimately be company specific. But I do think that generally speaking, rising interest rates should be a good thing for the 
banking sector on the whole, providing a boost potentially to net interest margins. And because UK companies generate more of their cash flows near a term, then this higher interest rate environment means the UK market is actually what we call short duration. So it's got less durational risk than other more growthier markets like the US, again, um, more conducive um, in this environment. And I think just, again, I think it's important just to buttress to everybody that the UK has one of the highest free cash flow yields of the developed markets. And we've seen quite a significant number of share buybacks this year. And I think I'd expect that to continue well into next year to, to support company share prices. And, and I think finally, um, just to round it off, you know, we've talked a lot about the lower valuations relative to history and also relative to international equity markets and we are long-term investors so we have a three to five year horizon so we believe that in the long run share prices will follow their fundamentals so in situations like this where you see you know share prices falling off a cliff we don't panic we are cognizant of what's going on obviously but we when we are running our portfolios and making investments is important to be steadfast and calm and when you do see these types of dislocations in the market what we actually tend to see as we've seen um, this year is that private equity investors or corporates take advantage of this and um, we have had quite a lot of that in our fund so there's obviously quite a lot to be watchful for I think in the wider economy but our focus is on on unearthing these opportunities and making sure that we're doing things like stress testing our balance sheets of the companies that we own and keeping abreast of what's going on and keeping in touch with the company management teams and ultimately just making sure that they're set up well to navigate this current environment and beyond. Great. Well, um, yeah, I'm glad someone isn't panicking. And uh, <laughs> that's a good, good, uh, good point at which to stop. So Uzo, thanks very much for joining me. That was all that was all really insightful and interesting stuff. So hopefully, uh, everyone's enjoyed listening and we can chat again soon. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Trust Issues by Kepler Trust Intelligence. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember to visit our website at trustintelligence.co.uk to keep up with all the latest research on investment trusts.